Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. As a parent, you're an advocator. You're not the avoider, not the aggressor. You're someone who stands in the gap and is bracing where your child is at, where they're developing, where the growing pains are, where some of those struggles are, and how you can then help them navigate with a biblical worldview. Well, that's Jason Jimenez, and he joins us today on Focus on the Family to talk about parenting today's Generation Z. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. You know, John, young people today are facing so many challenges. I look through the lens of Trent and Troy, and my two boys in their early 20s now, but man, it's there's everything coming at them, the social media stuff, advertising, and it, you know, it's all different from when we were mm-hmm. youngins. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel bad, and uh, today we want to concentrate on how to parent the Generation Z group. Now, some of you may say, what is Generation? Z. You know, you don't even know where you're at in that cluck of uh, generational descriptors. But Generation Z is basically about 1997, 98 to 2012, being born in that range. Trent and Troy were 2000 and 2002. Mm-hmm. So I have lived the dream. <laughs> but there are some very specific things that this generation both exhibits and require. And we're going to get into it today from a spiritual and emotional standpoint. Yeah. And Jason Jimenez is the founder of Stand Strong Ministries. Uh, He's an author. He's a national speaker. And he and his wife have four Gen Z kids. He's done a lot of work with young people. He's going to talk today uh, about some of the concepts in his book, Parenting Gen Z, Guiding Your Child Through a Hostile Culture. Jason, welcome to the broadcast. Great to be with you guys. Hey, uh, you're, as John said, father of four Gen mm-hmm. Zers, and uh, you have had the wonderful experience of parenting them. So what stands out as so different from past generations? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, yeah, having four Gen Zers, you guys having some Gen Zers, you know, roughly, like I said, late 1990s, you know, into mid 2012, 2015, right? Before, you know, President Trump became, you know, president 2016. What's different actually to even millennials is that Gen Z are a lot more anxious than any previous generation. Let's talk about that. Why is that? Well, one reason is because most of them actually come from more broken families. Mm. There's over 10 to 12 million Gen Zers who actually come from single families and 80% of those single families are led by just a single mom. Mm-hmm. And then of course you add all the technology since this generation was born, all they've known is social media devices, right? And so learning how to communicate effectively isn't something they do as well. And friendships is, is really an art that they do not know how to achieve or to produce in their own life. Mm-hmm. So the loneliness, the despair, a lot of them struggle on their own identity and even figuring out what that is, that's why the sexuality revolution that's coming about where you define yourself you know, through terms of your sexual desires or your predilections has become a big frontal uh, case for a lot of young people. So this creates more anxiety in their lives. And then, of course, sadly, what we actually see when you trace Gen Z, unlike any other generation, a lot of them don't actually get a lot of sleep. So that's adding to the deprivation that we're seeing among this generation. Wow. It sounds bleak. It, it does sound bleak, but at the same time, and I talk about this in the book, is once one quality that I've seen with parenting Gen Z is the creativity and the curiosity that consists with them. One thing that's also amazing about Gen Z is that they're homebodies, meaning they love to be invested in family. Mm-hmm. And they're actually 
more in tune with reading and going outside of their opinions mm. to learn things that maybe run contrary to what they believe to be true. Yeah. But I was thinking, boy, if we say that we're really anxious about this next generation, we're really saying we don't trust God for putting the souls on this planet at the moment he wants them here. Mm-hmm. I'd rather trust God that he's got the right people in place, you know, maturing them along the journey right. so they're going to be the bold witnesses that he needs at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's a much healthier way to look at <laughs> well, it, Well, yeah, I think. and I agree with you, Jim. And if you look at it, biblically speaking, if you look at the advancement of the gospel that's being spread during the Roman imperialistic age, that it was a lot more bleak, if you will. Oh, absolutely. Than what we are currently facing today in opposition. You talk about the sexual predilections back then. You want to talk about the paganistic roots, the movement, the hostility, the persecution. Yet you don't see this hopelessness that Paul and the other apostles had in advancing the gospel. And that's where he goes back to Romans 5, 4, which I actually see where, and I was just with, with a group of 200 students last night who are Gen Zers, they want to see people of character. Mm. Authenticity. When, authenticity. Yep. And so when we see, we see in Romans 5, 4, that when we are patient, when we go through endurance, it produces character and character hope. So when you actually see some character that's resonating among young people, mm. and there's this level of trying to achieve not just integrity, but with that maturity, it gets them really excited. So I would actually go contrary to that guest, you know, God love them. Yeah, yeah. But leaving people on a negative note only feeds the fire of negativity and criticism. Well, and, and to that point, the culture is feasting on negativity. Yeah, that's what, exactly. Cable news. Yep. But leave that to the side for the minute. Now, in the book, you've described eight characteristics mm-hmm. that uh, get to the Gen Z descriptors. Two of those are divergent identity and ethnic diversity. So let's hit those two and talk about that. Yeah, so going back to the previous question, what is different among this generation than previous ones? Well, the first characteristic is I give a divergent one. It's like the movie Divergent. You know, the whole thing is that people are categorized in their specialty and what they can contribute to society. What you actually find with parenting this generation is they're very diverse in their personalities in their approach to life because of the advancements of technology, the access that they have to all sorts of voices and opinions. Now, the ethnic diversity, one thing that we're clearly seeing with Generation Z is that Caucasians are the minority. Me, I'm biracial, so growing up in a family of a white mom and a Mexican dad, I grew up in diversity. You know, the difference between how middle, the Midwest people eat food, you know, and socialize versus how Mexicans from Mexico, you know, who are raised Catholic, how they socialized. And the beauty of that diversity, complicated at times, right? (laughs) Between the two families, the Morris family, the Jimenez family. But that's one thing that you see when you are around uh, Gen Z is the diversity ethnically and nationally that is possessed within this generation. It's a beautiful thing. And going back to what we were saying earlier, what I actually see is God using this generation with their diversity to reach more people for Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A third one that you mentioned in the book of the eight is progressive. Yeah. That progressive mentality. Mm-hmm. How do you describe that? Yeah. So progressive meaning that they are not as conservative in their thinking. So their mentality, first and foremost, is over 30% of Gen Z believe that you determine your own gender or sexuality over time. 30%. Yeah, that's a progressive view of denying basically ultimate reality or biology based on science, right? So that's a progressive mentality going beyond the, quote, facts of reality that we see. Another progressive mentality among them is, again, they're not buying into natural marriage, that love wins. 
you know, so it's progressive in that kind of view. And so that progressive mentality also feeds into not just their cultural way of living and what they buy and who they hang out with, but how they're eventually going to be voting and this more progressive socialistic understanding of what the role of government is in society. Yeah, there's an old saying that goes, if you're not a liberal at 25, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative at 35, you have no brain. I mean, how many people wrote, you know, pretty uh, progressive papers in college, probably just about everybody. It's kind of the natural course to some degree. And then as life hits you, you begin to get a little wiser about human behavior. But Jim, if I could say something, because this is important, because I don't want to say by using that descriptive term Mm -hmm. progressive mentality that all of them are that's in certain areas where they're conservative more than millennials is that they don't cohabit as much they're they're committed to family yeah there's not this there's not this open relationship sexually there's more fidelity among gen z so with gen z even though there's a progressive mentality in some areas there's a conservative value that consists with a lot of them in particular when it comes to relationships yeah going back to that progressive mentality i think in the book you had uh, two students who asked you a question over a zoom call if i remember yeah. correctly what was the question they asked and how did you manage that question yeah, so what I like to do as a Christian apologist uh, is engage young people on various different topics. And this one in particular that I mentioned in the book to show the progressive mentality is people's views of the role of government, including abortion, mm. right? What role that a lot of them believe abortion facilities, clinics actually offer. And many of them believe that they're producing like plant parenthood, that they're providing a service to women, not just their rights to have an abortion, but they do other you know, how quality, yeah. you know, things that, uh, that are good. And so there was a debate that was brewing between these uh, students about, you know, that their primary duty is abortion and that's a moral evil. And there's other people defending those rights yet at the same time claiming that they're a Christian. So how did you give that response once you did give a response or did you? Yeah, I did. I did. I, one, I always believe in allowing there to be pushback. Yeah, you know it's what I mean? good. And not being intimidated by the people's point of view. One thing that's important to understand is the gospels clearly, as we know, is in Jesus Christ, is not saying in order to become a Christian, you have to be pro-life, right? So there's a lot of people who are biblically literate, right, Jim? They know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But as Paul identifies to some Christians in the category in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, they're carnal. Or the writer in Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, they're unskilled because they're immature. They don't know. So when I started to address this, okay, so here's the premise you guys are saying as Christians, you think it's a, you know, to show love to someone, they should have a right to abort a child. The question is, is what is that thing, right, in the womb? Right. And as Christians, what value do we have on human beings? And one of the things I also address in the book, which I was bringing into this discussion, I said, do we all believe that humans have intrinsic value? Everybody on that Zoom call, all these Gen Zers said, well, yes, including the pro-choice people. So I said, okay, so we find common ground that we believe that all human beings have intrinsic value. Is that a Judeo-Christian ethic? Yes, okay? That's beyond just our subjective feelings about human beings. We believe that's something that's objective. Number two is the pre-born is a human being based on the science of embryology. If pre-born are human beings, and guess what pre-born have in the womb? Intrinsic value. So now we then push back on the pro-choicers and say, listen, as Christians, when you're advancing a pro-choice methodology and ideology, you're actually undermining the very premise of understanding what a human being is made in the image of God. And you're putting the rights of a human that the government supposedly has given 
that clearly undermines the value of a human being. And as Christians, our duty is to protect all life. That's when they start understanding that if that life is truly a human being in the womb and not just a thing, just a blob, right? And the woman's choice does not trump the right of a human being existing then there was actually saying, I've never thought of it that yeah, way. Yeah, light bulbs went off, exactly. which is a great way to do that. And, uh, you know, again, one of the things I'll do a little uh, commercial here, one of the things that focus on the family we're trying to do, and again, I think this lines up with Gen Zer's attitude for authenticity. One of the great logistical battles we have is we have about a million abortions a year, mm-hmm. and we have about a million couples who want to adopt infant babies. Yeah. But how do we connect them? There's mm-hmm. no national registry There's for parents who want to mm-hmm. adopt. So Focus is now engaging, working mm-hmm. with 800 uh, adoption agencies to try to create a national database mm-hmm. so we can begin the process of lining up women with unexpected pregnancies who don't want to keep the child because of personal reasons, yeah. and then allowing them to make the choice to put that baby up for adoption. Yeah with a, a great couple. Mm. So I think if we can accomplish more, I'd love to see that be the answer from the Christian community, that mm. not only are we hopefully riding the ship logically, spiritually, emotionally about the issue of abortion, but we're stepping in the gap to help these women yeah. and to allow them to choose life, yeah. even if they feel they can't uh, raise that life. Mm. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hey, Jim Daly here. If you like the Focus on the Family broadcast and haven't grown tired of this voice just yet, you'll love my Refocus podcast. On Refocus, I take a deeper dive with a respected thinker on different aspects of culture. I ask those hard questions that maybe they don't get that often, and I don't shy away from challenging topics to help you share God's grace, truth, and love with others. So listen to Refocus with Jim Daly on your favorite streaming app today. Hey parents, Parent here. If you're searching for biblical and practical tips for your kid's specific age, you know, with all that extra time you have, well, you can stop. Focus on the Family has weekly age and stage emails that bring the tips to you. Each week, I get an email for my son that I can read on my phone and put directly into practice. No more sifting through junk on the internet. I can focus my time on being intentional. It's easy. Visit MyKidsAge.com, add your kid's age, and get to parenting better. That's MyKidsAge.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Jason, one of the key characteristics uh, to understand about Gen Z is what you called emotional instability. So again, that's one of the eight. What are you getting at with that term? Yeah, so I think this is actually, Jim, pastorally and also as a father for and spending over 25 years working with millennials and Gen Z, this is definitely the probably one of the biggest things that we have to focus a little bit more in. Anything that springs from depression, loneliness, suicidal thoughts, um, no direction, like directionless, or when you have a young person who feels like their life has no purpose or meaning, all of it stems from emotional instability. They don't know how to process conflict. One thing that is certainly the case that I've seen among a lot of young people these days is a lack of resilience. And with a lack of resilience, they don't know how to be an overcomer. And yet at the same time, what's happening is they're trying to be an overachiever in education. Hmm. One thing I actually did a lot of research with clinical psychologists in writing this book with Focus on the Family is evaluating the pressures that creates more emotionally instability among young people. And one thing that 
we discovered was the pressure of what mom and dad expect from them, that they yeah. cannot achieve emotionally, right? So they kind of feel there's a little bit of abandonment issues there where they're trying to have to figure it out on their own without support and guidance, okay? That's why my key in the subtitle was guiding your child in a hostile culture. So when they don't have that, they're responding, again, in an immature way or with instability. Remember, broken family, uh, a depleted faith. They may have put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they're not grounded. Mm -hmm. They haven't really learned what resilience is because a lot of parents have been very overprotective and never let them fail and to learn from these things. Emotional crisis, like I said, a lack of friends. They feel very lonely. So again, that creates more emotional instability. I just talked to a student recently who's a loner and he says, I don't know how to engage people because I don't think I have anything to offer. That's emotional instability. He right. doesn't know how to work through that, what it even looks like. If he hates himself and he thinks God therefore hates him, then he's not gonna be going out there and engaging people and to contribute in not just relationships, but in society. So emotional instability is a critical piece. And I always try to let people understand this. God made us as reasonable, rational human beings, but also we are emotive beings. So we can't just go one extreme right. and go in the other direction. What we need to do with Gen Zero is, is bring reason and emotion collectively as a body soul made in the image of God. And what's happening is the emotional instability is overriding any reason that these rational young people can have and it's eating them up. Right. Jason, you have a story about a couple who came to you for advice on parenting uh, their kids who were claiming to be LGBT identified. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice do you give a parent when their mm -hmm. middle schooler or high schooler says this? Yeah. You know, Jim, obviously it depends on the family, depends on the situation. This particular one, I'll never forget, it broke my heart because a father, I didn't even talk. My talk was actually on suffering, which hmm. actually resonated because he was suffering because yeah. his eldest daughter of five what came out as trans, a trans man. She was living that for several years. And, and what was happening was the younger daughters who looked up, of course, yeah, to their the older, older sister, sister, they were heartbroken and then it became distance in the family. So he approached me and said, can we have a discussion at some point? The conference was over. I said, meet me over here by where the books were being sold. And he brought his wife and all of his daughters. I didn't realize oh, wow. that all four of the other ones are gonna be there. So as they shared with me about their eldest daughter and all the decisions she was making and being in a relationship I with a guy or girl, and then she was wanting to be in transition, they didn't know as a Christian family what they should do. One of the things I said, well, let's just talk about where your daughter is at in terms of her, not just her sexuality, but this trans ideation kind of stuff. How did this spark? What happened? Well, in this case, this family, this is what they're asking. How do we befriend? How do we keep a relationship with our daughter? Do we approve of her quote unquote lifestyle? If we invite her over for a holiday meal or even invite her over for a birthday. And if we do, what does that look like? And so I said, let me give you guys an understanding very quickly. Number one, there's a difference between approval and acceptance. Okay, you approve of who your daughter is because she is made in the image of God and she's your daughter and she will always be your daughter no matter what she believes about her sexuality or her identity. Number two, when it comes to accepting, that doesn't mean that you accept everything she believes. Jesus loves all people, but he doesn't love all ideas or beliefs or deeds. So one of the things that's clear about what's happening with your daughter is she's being very defiant and she's trying to indoctrinate her younger sisters. So if that continues, 
you have to disinvite her and put boundaries in place, not because she's trans, but because she's being defiant to your guys' set of rules. Mm. So as you guys look at that, the thing that you can communicate to her is if you continue to be disrespectful and undermine us and try to indoctrinate your sisters who you say you love, then we have to have some separation, not because they're trans, because that's what she kept using. Well, you don't want me to come over here because I'm trans and you don't accept that. I said, no, you approve of her because you love her. But the reason you have to set boundaries is because of her behavior, not necessarily her lifestyle. That alone, Jim mm-hmm. and John, helps people understand because most people think, well, if you bring them in, are you approving of everything and accepting of everything? And that's not always the case. And that is a helpful way in the midst of this confusion where parents find themselves to still be present among your child who's confused, but also be a conveyor of God's truth in the midst of it. Uh, Let's end with this uh, for parents. Asking questions is such an art, Mm -hmm. and it's probably more of an art today as a parent with Gen Zers and talking to your teens and trying to stay connected and stay engaged and have those great conversations rather than just, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, yeah. So, how do parents do that with a skill set? How can they develop that? What do they need to do, especially on these big issues of sexual identity and, you know, the stuff that they're having to deal with that maybe parents aren't even aware of? Yeah, that's a great question, Jim. I, I would say one of the biggest things for any parent listening right now is to evaluate right now. I'm not saying you're a bad parent. We're not, we're not trying to achieve to be a perfect parent. You are called to be the parent that God has called you to be for your children. God does not make mistakes. So you're right where you need to be. First thing you have to evaluate and you jump into these conversations, whatever whatever it is, again, depending on the age, depending on the subject matter and the situation, is to be present. Mm-hmm. That you are willing and able to be present with each one of your kids, whether you have one in the home and it's a preteen or you have two adult children, be present in their life now. When it, when it comes to having these type of conversations, I like to tell uh, parents to consider two options in the flesh, that it's not God-honoring and led by the Spirit, an avoider and an aggressor. Mm-hmm. The avoider, obviously, clearly, you know you should talk about it, you're afraid to talk about it, and you don't say anything, right? Well, what message does that send the kids? In actual fact, here's what's interesting to encourage parents. When our young people are struggling through something, a decision that needs to be made, stress, conflict, and they're looking for some form of resolution, but they don't know what that is. They'll do two things immediately. One, listen to music. And number two, they want to go talk to someone. So make sure that whatever your child is going through, that you're present there. You're not going to be an avoider. And the other option in the flesh would be an aggressor. When if something you don't like, jumping in there and speaking down and belittling right or if they have some type of progressive understanding of something in terms of sexuality i talk about this in the book to help people work through this parents because i get inundated with this all the time that's not going to help instead as a parent you're an advocator you're not the avoider not the aggressor you're someone who stands in the gap and is embracing where your child is at, where they're developing, where the growing pains are, where some of those struggles are, and how you can then help them navigate with a biblical worldview. Now, a lot of parents say, I try to do that. It gets defensive. I say, well, listen, they love you. They do respect you, but you also got to make sure that you respect them mm-hmm. and where they're at. Yeah. And if they're going down a path 
because you you failed, if you will, to recognize some things, ask for forgiveness. Yeah. That's actually the bigger question here, right? Is does there need to be any forgiveness before you jump into certain things? Because sometimes when it comes to this protest mentality among Gen Zers, they want to be a part of a activist group that's bringing change and social justice. When you interfere with that and you start telling what's wrong about that without listening as to why they embrace it, mm. they're going to get very defensive. So that's what I try yeah. to encourage parents to do a better job. And then through that, as they learn and listen and be that advocator of God's truth to the person that they love, their child, then start getting better educated, whatever that particular topic is, and share the resources that your son or daughter maybe is watching on TikTok or they're downloading from influential people. One thing I will say this in closing that my wife and I've done with each one of our kids as they've grown up and are two now in college is inviting their friends over for just hangout time and just discussion, right? No really agenda. It's not a lecture from me. It's just trying to get to know them and seeing where they're at. And then as you're feeding them and hanging out and playing some games, you ask some questions to see where they're at. And that has always been helpful because then I use that then to have discussions with my kids. And they're a lot more inclined because they know that I want to be present. You're connected. And I'm connecting with yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Jason, this has been so good and there's more to cover. Let's come back next time if you're willing and continue the discussion and hopefully equip parents of Gen Zers to do the best possible job. Not a perfect job. None of us are perfect. And uh, But we want to make you the best possible parent you could be. Will you do it? Absolutely. I'd love to do it. All right. And uh, man, pick up a copy of this book, Parenting Gen Z, Guiding Your Child Through a Hostile Culture, right here at Focus on the Family. And if you can make a gift of any amount, we'll send it along as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. If you can't afford it, uh, call us, get in touch with us, order it, and we'll get it into your hands, trusting others will take care of that. And if you can make a gift on a monthly basis, it really helps smooth the budget out here for Focus on the Family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, contact us today. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or you can find all the details at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And while you're there, check out our video series called Raising Your Teen to Be a Resilient Christian by David Kinneman. This fantastic free resource will give you more advice on what to do when the culture clashes with your teen. When you sign up for the series, you'll receive an email right away with a link to the first short episode. And then every couple of days, we'll send you another email inviting you to watch the next episode. It's really easy and it's great content and you find details at the website. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Jason and once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. 
Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com. So one thing that I try to help parents understand is in that confusion, validate their concerns, own up to some of those things, but make sure that you teach them who Jesus Christ truly is in the Gospels. That's Dr. Jason Jimenez with some of the wisdom he's learned about parenting Gen Z. And uh, he's got a lot of great ideas and biblical insights to share today on Focus on the Family. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. You know, our last conversation was really interesting, and I'm the father of two Gen Zers, so it's been really illuminating for me, our conversation last time, just to kind of connect some of the dots. What are the sensitivities of the Gen Zers? I think every generation has, uh, you know, descriptors, adjectives that describe them. Uh, you would got the silent generation, you know, the World mm-hmm. War II people, and then the boomers were kind of the out-of-the-box thinker group, and and then you have uh, a generation like Gen Zers who, if you were to pick three adjectives for them, maybe authentic, committed, uh, but willing to think of other ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that those would be the three, but, you know, uh, these business futurists like I think her name was Faith Popcorn or something like that, where they try to describe for businesses what these generations are like Mm -hmm. so that people can market to them. Mm -hmm. It's not unwise for us as the Christian community to understand generationally where people are at and what the themes are as well. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward. If you missed it last time, go to the website, get the download, or if you have a smartphone, uh, you can certainly access it on our app. Right, and there's so much more there. So if all the links for... Uh, accessing that material, that content, is uh, on the website or in the show notes. Well, Jason Jimenez is a Christian apologist, the founder of Stand Strong Ministries. He's a national speaker, and uh, he's written a book we're going to be drawing from today. It's called Parenting Gen Z, Guiding Your Child Through a Hostile Culture. All the details are at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or give us a call. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Jason, welcome back. Thank you, guys. <laughs> um, man, it was such a good conversation last time, and it got me thinking about a lot of things. But pouring more into your book, uh, you have some very particular ways that parents might want to consider parenting, mm-hmm. and you created an acronym, LOVE. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love love? I mean, <laughs> we should, as Christians, be enamored with love because Jesus said mm-hmm. it's love. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does the acronym LOVE, what does it mean, and how do you apply it in your parenting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the attempts I try to do in that particular chapter was to help families, again, very discombobulated. You know, you got blended families, which is becoming the norm among Gen Zers. And so a lot of times when it comes to guiding and directing your family, it's kind of all over the map, right? And you're hoping that maybe if you got church in the equation, it's going to help kind of offset some of those pressures. So one of the things is I want to help parents on the go. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if there's blended families, step parents involved, is to think of a motto. So what I've done in my family is I put together this acronym LOVE, and it stands for laugh, open, value, and encourage. And what we do there now is every single day when you're on the go, you just evaluate how to love your family, right? Think about it. They're in good hands with you as a mom or a dad. One is, are you laughing with your kids? Have you done that this week? How are you looking to engage them and entertain? Laughing is medicine. Let me ask you about that. I mean, I, I enjoy that. And that's part of 
you know, I like to look at life and laugh mm-hmm. because yeah. it's good. It's medicine. And uh, But I can understand, too, more serious people frown on that. Their personalities may not be given toward uh, frivolity. <laughs> yeah. know? And I get that. You know, a person who's more scientific, engineering-minded, their senses of humor can be not as as big. So it's not about guilt, though. How do right. you coach somebody who isn't naturally a laugher and a humorous person? Yeah, and that's a good question, and that that is the case. A lot of times we engage parents. A lot of times they have difficulty with that. You know, their personality is dry, and the kids know that, right? So they don't think that their mom or their dad is fun. They're just very strict and boring, okay? I totally get that. But there are ways around that. The first thing I talk about in the book when it comes to laughing is remember yourself as a child, right? I mean, if there were things, moments in your life of people you thought were funny, why? I'm not saying mimic them, but there are people in our life that we love, Jim, that were laughable, that really drew us in and and told good stories. The other thing is, guess what? There's a lot of cheesy dad jokes out there that you can use. (laughs) I hear you like those. I like that jokes, okay? (laughs) Um, There's funny YouTube videos sometimes. They even have bad dad joke books yeah. if you can believe it <laughs> if you can believe that i, I, I think see. jim wrote one of those John, <laughs> think, you know i love the fact that we could sit at the uh, dinner table trent troy and i and we would laugh so yeah. hard milk would come yeah. out of our nose yeah. <laughs> I mean, and i'm like i was like yeah, 40 yeah yeah i know well see that's okay so yeah. the, the, that's the point some people have an easier time at that yeah. but the point is find things that you can laugh about. And one thing's, guess what? If you're a little hard-nosed or strict and rigid, sometimes your kids, if they can poke fun at you, right? Let them, let them do that. If, if you're a little self-deprecating, sometimes use that as funny moments. But look to try to do that as a way to engage your kids and have fun. Okay, that's key. And then I would actually say a more difficult challenge for a lot of parents is to be open. What I mean by that is looking for opportunities to be vulnerable with your children, letting them know that you struggle, letting them know there's times that you've struggled in your faith, that you've had doubts and how you learn to overcome those kind of things. Be open about challenges in relationships. When your son or daughter is going through a situation right now and they're trying to figure things out and you have to give them room to figure it out, give them open opportunity to you know, think things through and show signs of maturity and take responsibility, you can let them know that there are times in your own life where you made mistakes and how you learned from your failures. That's being open, making sure that you are engaging that way. Mm-hmm. And then V is value. Every family member has value and everybody in this family has something to contribute, to build into the family. Our jobs as parents, as we instruct them in the ways of the Lord, is to always value who that person is, meaning where that child is in the order of how they came, even if there's a blended family. And the last one is encourage. Who doesn't and, need more encouragement? And speak to that, particularly with Gen Z, why encouragement is so critical. It's so encouraging because in First Thessalonians 5, verse 11, we are told to build up one another. So one, it's at the core of our faith as Christians, but as human beings, we are designed to need encouragement. Encouragement not only brings comfort, but it also gives stability and it gives guidance. Mm. When you intentionally encourage somebody in the process as they're learning and growing, that feeds them. Go back to the Gary Chapman stuff, right? The love tank. It feeds their love tank like never before. So it's easy to tear things down as we know, right? But it's hard to encourage. But the more that we do it, especially coming from mom and dad, who are the most important person in a child's life, never forget that. 
I get it, Jim and John. There are a lot of parents who feel very discouraged. They feel very mm-hmm. depleted. I have not achieved a lot of this stuff. I talked to a lot of older parents who say, I was not really that spiritual leader that I should have been when they were younger. Now that they're older, I don't know how to speak into that. You know what you can do? Find ways to encourage your son or daughter. Yeah. That actually is spiritual right there. Absolutely. Um, Exercising biblical authority as a parent is so key to helping uh, kids develop in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. But it also is probably understudied. You know, I don't know that we know how to apply healthy biblical authority. So describe the importance of biblical authority and how parents need to apply it. Then how to... How do parents equip themselves to do it correctly mm. so they don't damage the relationship? Because, yeah. I mean, it, it, you can really hurt that relationship oh. by simply being the authority. I told you not to do that. Yep. Why? Because I told you to. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. So you guys know this already, but when we were investigating, looking at Gen Z, I thought it was very important. This is a lesson I learned talking to parents raising millennials. And it, it was the waves of regret that they had and how they lacked exercising their authority, okay, as a guardian, as a leader, someone that they respected. So when it looks at, when you look at the parents raising Gen Z today, they do more bribing than exercising a proper authority. What does that sound like? So, so we can what, catch that, it. what that looks like is what you're doing is you negotiate with kids mm-hmm. rather than saying, listen, I am your authority in this life. A lot of parents who are raising Gen Z feel that that's too authoritarian too legalistic. They don't know how to exercise proper authority that is God-given, meaning what the husband's role and responsibility is and what the wife's role and responsibility is. So what we're finding with a lot of people raising Gen Z today, they're not on the same page, if you will, when it comes to what those roles and responsibilities looks like. Typically what we're finding is if the man is present, he's not leading the family spiritually and he's not making sure that there's actual repercussions to certain types of behavior that is demonstrated in the home, right? So what I talk about in the book is that what parents do oftentimes is they do these scattered consequences, meaning they're reactionary. So if the bribing doesn't work, if the negotiating isn't necessarily working, like for example, if you take out the trash, I'll let you play more time on on the device, right? No, that should be a responsibility that your son or daughter has because you've given it to them in the context of your family because you value them constructively, right? Now, if they do things on good behavior, then again, good consequences follow. Hey, because you've been doing such a good job, I want to reward you, but you have to make sure that you're keeping kids within these set boundaries. Another aspect that you mentioned in the book, and this is a funny one, with bike riding, teaching the kids how to ride a bike. So we had a funny story with that. The boys, I had set cones out in the driveway, so they're both going, and Trent was doing quite well and he was saying look look at me look how good i'm going and i said be careful pride goes before the fall and And then bam and troy started laughing like dad that was incredible (laughs) he loved it (laughs) yeah and uh, that was our bike riding experience i mean put a little scripture in there and then wow lord you brought that one right to full blossom yeah i mean that's a good point too jim because what i do in the book is i i want to use as an illustration because i have four so boy, girl, boy, girl. Mm-hmm. Of course, we didn't plan that, right? Yeah. So that's all to the Lord. But when I first took out Tyler, my oldest, years back when he wanted to learn how to ride, he's very methodical, very proper, you know, downloads all the information, right? right? Very safe, always looking at dad for approval. And it took me maybe two nights in total to teach him how to ride. And he was sufficient. He always made sure the pads were on right. I mean, he wanted knee yeah. pads and everything, right? That's Tyler. And then it came my daughter, Amy. 
And my daughter, Amy, is a lot like me. And she's a philosopher and she challenges everything. And she would not listen about balance and core and holding handles like this. She's always questioning me why. I want to do it my way. It got to a point where I couldn't teach her anymore. I was fed up, so I went and got mom. And then within a few hours, mom helped arrive, even though it was dad, but I didn't get the credit. It was very difficult. I couldn't help her through the process. Mom had to step in there because I lost patience, mm. right? I didn't want to argue and discourage her. Jackson, on the other hand, Jackson kept falling, tripping up. You know, he's always anticipating the next move. And so it took a long, arduous time for Jackson. He was the same guy where he was very, very fearful of the water and how to swim. He was always locked on with me. So he has a lot of more insecurity issues, right? Because he doesn't mm-hmm. want to fail. Mm-hmm. Haley, when it came to her time, our youngest, she was already out there trying to ride the bike before I showed up, <laughs> right? So the point is, is that each child is going to be uniquely crafted and different in their approach and their personality, which is beautiful. But we as parents have to adapt to those things. Mm-hmm. And the key thing about it is be patient. Don't try to conform them to what we expect out of them. That's where the training up of the child is that we are to understand how God has wired them. And as the guider, as the instructor, the disciplinary, we have to then navigate that based on how they are wired and how they perceive life in this challenges. Yeah. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Celebrate a lifelong love this holiday season with a special edition print created just for you by award-winning artist Morgan Weisling. A lasting love honors the enduring love and generational impact of marriage, which captures a sweet moment between a couple leaving church set in the Pioneer West. See it and get your copy of A Lasting Love at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash special print. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash special print. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Jason, you didn't have both parents with you all the way through growing up. Neither did I. I had a single parent mm-hmm. mom for a few years, and, and uh, so we both experienced that. Um, what was that like for you? What do you remember about that? What were the challenges mm-hmm. that that posed for you? Yeah, I mean, it was July 5th of 1994. I was 15, going into my sophomore year of high school, and my mom was leaving her office she was a secretary at a christian radio station and she was on her way to go pick up my youngest brother and she had gotten tickets through the radio station to take us to a baseball game and this was just the day after fourth of july so i just saw her that night and me and another brother decided to stay over at grandma's house right who doesn't like staying at grandma's house because she was going to make a big breakfast the next morning spoil us so we enjoyed that time and uh then we got a call uh, hours later, when we didn't know where my mom was, she was already supposed to be there, but she never showed up, which unlike my mom was totally uncharacteristic. And that's when we got the call that the hospital reached out to my dad and she was hit uh, by an ambulance that was going on a call. And oh, she was goodness. taking a left turn. She had the right away and they T-boned her. Helicopter had to come take her uh, flyer to the hospital. They tried to stop the bleeding, the internal bleeding but she suffered such brain damage that if she survived from the internal bleeding as they're doing surgery on her, she would have been a vegetable. So I remember my dad took his four boys, ranging from 18 to 11 years old, married for 17 years with my mom. They're on the brink of divorce, though. They struggled in their marriage. But I just remember a man who didn't really lead us in strong faith, but loved the Lord and certainly loved his kids and his family is now in this situation of crisis where he's praying, God, if you want to take my wife, my kids, mom, your will be done. 
within that hour, she didn't make it. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I will tell you guys that I was not angry towards God, but the closest person in my life was my mom. Yeah. No question. She was a beautiful woman who loved Jesus. She was only 35 at the time. Wow. But I learned in that loss that God was faithful, that God was there for me. And God used that suffrage to open the hearts of my brothers and myself, even my dad, to go deeper in our faith as we were searching for hope and healing. Mm. And so even now, all these years later, that tragedy God has used as part of my testimony to talk to families who have also had traumatic experience or have also been raised by a single parent or they have a blended family and try to help them understand those are challenges, those are difficulties, but God is faithful and he'll see you through it. So I think about her every day, I miss her, um, but I'm thankful that through the loss I've gained, as Paul says in Philippians 3, I've gained Christ more in my life. Yeah, I feel the exact same yeah. way, I really do. And it's hard to express that the people that are still carrying the burden of what their loss was. And it's the hardest question to answer. Mm -hmm. How did you let go of all that bitterness or resentment? And I, I just never really even had it. It's hard to say. Yeah, I, I never said why God, I said what God. Yeah. What do you want yeah. me to learn from this? You that know, was the key. Yeah, in that regard, uh, you know, there, we have a lot of single parents, and you become a single parent in a variety of ways through divorce or through the loss uh, of your spouse, etc. So you end up a single parent. What help can you give them in this regard? You know, like your dad, the situation mm -hmm. he was in, and now he's got a father and mother, mm -hmm. four boys. Right at critical time, you're all kind of in mm -hmm. teenagehood and and coming into teenager. So that had to be hard. Is there anything unique for a single parent to understand about the love concept and all the content of the book? Yeah, I mean, that that is so true, Jim. I One thing that I know for me personally was my dad was not equipped. I mean, within a year, he got remarried. Um, I don't know that any single yeah, parent he was is not, ever yeah. equipped. I he, mean, it's he, like, wow. He, he wasn't equipped. But one thing that my dad did that was so important for us in those critical stages of our life was that he made sure that he was available for us no matter what. And that's a core principle. And that, was a, that is a huge thing. And sometimes wow. what happens with single parents is, again, you have to you have to make ends meet. So some people are having to work two jobs or having to work overtime to provide for the family because they're just a one-income family. And so I know that more, anybody listening right now, all of us would love to have more time with our kids, especially if we know as time goes on, you savor those moments because you see how fast it is. Yeah, one minute they're less. in elementary and the next, you know, they're getting married. And so one thing I encourage uh, single moms or single dads is listen, as little opportunities you may have because of your schedule, when you do have little limited time, use that time that's undistracted, right? Guard it and tell your kids and reaffirm them all the time that even though these tragedies have happened in our life, even though there's been losses, or even though you have difficulty with your dad or your mom and you're bounced around in different houses, that kind of stuff, always make sure that your home is a home of safety, refuge, and stability. And when parents do that as a single parent, but I'd also say this, you can't do it alone. So you have to make sure that your family is supported by a local church. I would agree. That is yeah. so critical. Now that goes for any family, whether yeah. there's a mom and dad, but you have to make sure, especially with the sanity that a lot of single parents are dealing with, you have to make sure that you have 
people, spiritual leaders in a church based on Titus chapter two that are modeling the faith to help you to mm. kind of offset that. Uh, Jason, we're right at the end here, but a big problem that we have in the Christian community particularly is our kids not embracing the faith. But speak to this issue uh, where there's a distance, you know, where the kids don't want organized religion, they're turned off by it. This is a Gen Z factor. Uh, they generally don't like the orchestration of church. They're they're into spiritual things, but mm-hmm. they think that's too much of a concoction, however they would describe mm-hmm. it. You've heard them describe mm-hmm. it. The big issue is how do you get them to embrace the faith for themselves so they're not living off of your faith, yeah. but they become based in mm-hmm. the faith. Yeah, one of the biggest things is for every parent to remember is that it's transferable faith. That's a Hebraic method. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Psalm 78. And one thing that I try to tell parents, this whole notion of it's, you know, the Christian faith is caught, not taught, that's actually nonsense. That is not a phrase that we should be using. When you look at the Hebraic method and you look at Christianity, it's consistently with the conduct of living in what I have taught or instructed you over and over again. Paul talked to Titus like that. Elders are supposed to be that. You see the guardianship of instruction with fathers in Ephesians chapter six. So for parents to understand we're making sure that we're not constructing an institutionalized evangelicalism that is embedded with a bunch of different, you know, movements and contradictions, right? That it's abhorrent to the very truth teaching of scripture. So make sure that you're not living a hypocritical life. But as moms and dads, our job is to model the faith and to transfer that to the next generation. So you use the word, Jim, and I like it, embracing that. Every child at its core innately wants that. They want to be able to imitate the faith that is set before them from their mom and their dad. So that's number one. I don't, and this isn't belittling anybody, but one thing we have to recognize, I don't think we've done a good job when we've looked to the brand of a movement, right? Uh, And evangelicalism, where it's just drawing young people and say, oh man, see, they're plugged into this great church. There's all these multi-campus satellites and this celebrity pastor and this and that kind of stuff. Great. Hopefully they're teaching the word of God but not at the expense of them not looking to you first and foremost when it comes to their life. So that's number one, it's so critical about modeling the faith. Number two, yes, there's a lot of this rigidity. That's a main term that young people use or this fragmented faith, Mm. right? Because that is not Christianity. Christianity is not just this therapeutic faith that we inject when it's convenient. So what we're trying to help parents understand because most of them are biblically illiterate, is to teach them the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Do not live a hypocritical life. Own up to the mistakes that you've made and demonstrate to your kids, what does your prayer life look like? You know, have you ever read through the Bible with your kids? And the last thing is this, most of the false portrayal of Jesus in America that is held by millennials and Gen Z, and these are self-identifying Christians, which most of them are not. They view Jesus either as a mystic or as a woke teacher who embraces all ideas and all sexuality and all ways of life, or he was this revolutionist who was, he was reforming Judaism and he's changing the ways. And so a lot of times when young people are deconverting from the faith that they're raised in, and maybe that was a, a fragmented faith, they look at that as rigid doctrine that doesn't help advance social justice. So one thing that I try to help parents understand is in that confusion, validate their concerns, own up to some of those things, but make sure that you teach them who Jesus Christ truly is 
in the gospels and separate it from the noise out there and these different institutionalized systems of celebrity pastor this and these scandals here or you know if you blew it in the past ask for forgiveness because remember god's grace is far greater than any sin that we've committed and when you come with that type of humility i think your kids are going to be a lot more forgiving that's one thing i will end on this note that's so so important if i can convey to people listening if you've messed up there's always grace and your kids actually want to see that. That is a great model of faith because we know that we're born sinners mm-hmm. and we're saved by grace. This is not of ourselves. This is a gift of God. And when you convey that, live that and transfer that, that speaks volumes to young people in this midst of confusion about, do I trust the Bible? Who is Jesus really? What about these scandals? And using all these excuses to draw away from God or deconstruct their faith when in fact, Let's own it for what it is in the grace of Jesus Christ and start engaging our kids on who Jesus Christ really is. And one way is say, hey, who is Jesus to you? And if they start bringing these false portrayals, these false versions, use that then to counter it with the truth of God's word with your kid. Ask them, invite them in if they wanna be a part of that. That is a critical point. I just did that with a father in his 60s. He's now having breakfast with one of his adult children and they're going through the gospels together and they're exploring who Jesus is and they're praying together. His son is not fully there yet. He's got a lot of bitterness, but he loves the fact that he's spending time with his dad. They're eating at a restaurant that they enjoy and they're actually learning some things that he never knew about with Jesus. Yeah, it's good. So good. Jason, this has been really informative and I hope uh, the listeners and the viewers have caught the content of this book. I mean, it's rich and you've done an excellent job. Thank you to uh, pull the right things together to talk about parenting the Gen Z generation. So thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, John. And uh, get your copy. I mean, you might have some friends. Maybe your kids are now in their late 20s, but you have uh, friends that are still in the midst of it. And uh, this would be a great gift, Mm -hmm. a gentle gift. (laughs) (laughs) But get in touch with us. And if you can make a donation of any amount, one-time gift, or get on the monthly bandwagon as John and I do for Focus. That's how we support the ministry. And uh, if you can do either one, we'll send you a copy of the book is our way of saying thank you. Parenting Gen Z, Guiding Your Child Through a Hostile Culture. I think the title says it all. Who doesn't want that resource? Yeah, contact us today. Donate monthly if you can, or a one-time gift is deeply appreciated. Our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family. Or you can donate by going online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for our free video series, Raising Your Teen to Be a Resilient Christian, by researcher and author Dr. David Kinneman. This is a great resource to help you continue conversations with your teen on Christianity and uh, how to deal with the cultural issues we're facing. Find out more about Raising Your Teen to Be a Resilient Christian when you're at the website. And uh, for now, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at hoperestored.com. 
and talk with a trusted advisor. That's hoperestored.com.